You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So I think some people, Connor, are saying that there are going to be two Too Many Lawyers, namely uh, Rudy Giuliani and Alan Dershowitz. It's it's definitely going to be a full team. If there's a Senate trial. I am shocked. I don't understand how Trump keeps finding lawyers who will represent him, given that he doesn't pay anybody. Right. I mean, you get what you pay for, and apparently he's paying nothing for Rudy, so he's paying the right price. He should hire Jacoby and Myers. They're famous. That's true. And uh, I don't they probably would charge more than Rudy and Alan Dershowitz. So it is Sunday, January 17th. It is three days before the Biden inauguration, one day before Martin Luther King Day. Uh, we want to talk about some big questions. And if you're new to the podcast, uh, I'm Royal Oaks. I'm a legal analyst uh, for a long time and a libertarian, a baby boomer. Connor, how would you describe yourself? I describe myself as a millennial, uh, probably uh, one of the older uh, of the millennial crowd, probably uh, numerically, uh, and, and a progressive. So we've got some pretty differing viewpoints on uh, the role of government in our lives, how the legal system currently works versus how it should work. Uh, but we managed to come to reasonable disagreement despite those differences. Well, let's see if we can agree on the big topics uh, of today. Topic number one, the impeachment trial. Is it even legal after a president's term? And is the Republican Party going to vote to uh, convict him so they can then disqualify him and get him out of their hair in 2024? Question number two is the real basis for impeaching and now convicting Donald Trump, not inciting violence, which you you can fuss over and debate the the niceties of the federal standards for inciting violence, but instead the fact that he was trying to engineer a coup. Number three, is Donald Trump nuts? Is he certifiable? We'll hear from a psychiatrist. Number four, the social media ban, Twitter and Facebook and Google and so on. Was it ill-advised censorship? Should they have just gone for maybe a month as opposed to indefinite and permanent, thus sort of turning Trump into a martyr and energizing his base? And finally, question number five, how should we be celebrating Martin Luther King Day? So those are the issues. Let's get to number one, uh, the impeachment trial. Um, what do you think, Connor? Uh, you're, a, you're a lawyer, a philosophical guy, yeah. a, a thoughtful guy. Is it even legal to uh, go after a guy when, I mean, let's face it, the point of impeachment and conviction is to get the hell uh, rid of the guy and he's gone as of Wednesday. Well, I think there are a lot of points of impeachment. And yeah, one of the points of impeachment in the House of Representatives and then conviction uh, in the Senate is removal from office. That is pretty straightforward. If you got a bad dude in uh, or gal or do that, do that. Right. Right. <laughs> we're, we're equal opportunity uh, impeachers here. 
Um, Clinton was going to be first dude when Hillary was that's president. Yeah, exactly. so that well, we sense. have the office of the first. What is it now? The, the there's an official Twitter account for um, for the, the for uh, Harris's husband. Um, oh, that's I right. I can't I remember don't the name know of it what yet, they're going to call uh, him. Yeah, yeah, I, it's a mystery to me. But was, was uh, that our Pomodoro? Yes, that was it Pomodoro. It was, okay, yeah, absolutely. And we're going to have a commercial for the Pomodoro 25-minute timer, folks. It's going to change your life. It's, it's, it's a very productive system. And Pomodoro, uh, folks, you don't have to send me a check. But if you do the address, well, we'll do we'll, that later. Just, just Royal Oaks, Los Angeles, California. That's, that's all, all the, the address, address you need. need. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead. That's pretty good. Um, so... Uh, so, yeah, there are lots of points of impeachment. Yeah, one is removal from office. But another, for example, is just making the declaration to the world and to America that future presidents will not be allowed to get away with what he tried to get away with. Uh, and uh, the other another argument is the disqualification from office element. If uh, the president could uh, do impeachable and convictable things on the last day or in the last week or in the last month of his term, knowing it's too late, they can't get me and disqualify me from running for public office again, which is part of the process and part of the possible remedy that Congress can levy. He could get that Uzi and go to Fifth Avenue. Right. Then he basically has hundreds of uh, thousands of Americans are dead. I mean, this this would make presidents immune to Senate uh, conviction if they just manage to do their crimes at the last minute, which is not a good system. So you want people to not be able to dodge. You're raising good questions. The difficulty is we don't have a whole lot of good answers. Like so many legal questions in the Trump era, it's hard to know. Like, for example, the, the self-pardon, that's unprecedented. We don't know what the court would say I mean, about that if he goes there. I think you're right that they are hard to know if the only thing we rely on is precedent, because Trump is unprecedented. Right. And, right? and never before has a former president been right. imp- impeached and then well, has the trial occurred after he right. left office. But right. we can still use our common sense to decide what the law should do in this new circumstance. We right. can, this is a very like this is a very fundamental like law school 101. What do law students, what are they faced with when they go to law school? Well, they've got on well, the one side, the Federalist Society shoving down professors' throats and into textbooks and everything else. This idea that originalism is the, the only way to interpret law. Well, what does the, the text say or what was the intent of the framers? And we then you immediately in law school run into situations that the framers could never have contemplated, that their wisdom could never apply to. I think you're you right. Decide what, 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 what is a logical uh, outcome that holds true the spirit of the law or uh, you know creates the society we want to live in? And you're obviously right. in sense. that scenario... Common sense is common. If there's no precedent, hopefully the judges will use common sense. And and you're absolutely right about the Federalist Society. It's shameful and despicable what they have accomplished. I believe if I've seen the the statistics, they have moved the percentage of hard left members of the academic world from 97.3% to 97.1%. And if we don't reverse this trend... Who knows what could happen I think we ban the Federalist Society as it counts. Great. We'll get to to censorship of conservatives at the end of the episode. So, uh, President... President Grant had a Secretary of War who resigned. He did some naughty things. I don't know exactly what he did. War, probably. Um, well, I mean, Grant <laughs> did a heck of a job in that war. He sure did. We, we owe a great debt of, uh, of gratitude to him. Anyway, Secretary Grant, uh, Secretary of War under Grant, resigned. And then he was, after resignation, impeached and convicted. Now, mm-hmm. that is a precedent of sorts. It isn't a presidential resignation and post-term conviction, but it may be enough to allow the Supreme Court 
court to say, well, you know, that it's it's interesting, it's helpful. And I imagine it, the Supreme Court probably would end up having to take the issue onto their docket as to whether you may go after a, a president after uh, his term ends. I guess there's a question, Connor, as to tr- uh, whether Trump would really even defend himself. I guess we were joking about Rudy Giuliani and Dershowitz being the only lawyers that would defend him. But I mean, they've been defending him. I, I guess they probably would show up. He might, on the other hand, say, I'm not even going to dignify with a response. But I guess that's not really in Trump's DNA. I think he's a fighter. So he probably, oh, yeah. he probably Although, would. Although, if he can't defend himself on Twitter, if he actually has to go through the proper channels of his representatives in Congress making the case, he's probably not interested in that. What Trump wants to do by fighting constantly is short circuit process and d- uh, call everything illegitimate and not have to. It'd be like if he were on trial for murdering somebody on Fifth Avenue, he wouldn't show up to the trial. He would just go outside and scream into the microphones, which he can, of course, still do and get coverage. This the, the shocking thing that I see is, is Dershowitz uh, and Giuliani and the rest making these uh, arguments is they are shooting themselves in the foot in the biggest possible way and shooting Trump in the foot as well. Their arguments in favor of Trump are so bad. I mean, Dershowitz's argument uh, that I have seen is primarily a slippery slope argument. He, he was stuck with, well, the reason that you can't uh, try Trump uh, for uh, this incitement after he leaves office is because it's a slippery slope. The next thing you know, uh, we'll be trying uh, any private citizen in the United States uh, who's not the president for you know trying uh, impeaching them and, and convicting them in the Senate, as though the Senate is going to start convicting Charles Manson yeah, of murder. Would, yeah, and I trying, don't get that. I mean, he's a he's smart a, guy, but why would it follow? What sense does well, that argument make? Trump's not the president anymore, but they're trying to uh, convict him for crimes in the Senate. Well, then they could tr- convict Charles Manson right. for murder in the Senate, and that oversteps senatorial bounds. That's their, okay. not their jurisdiction. Right. So that's, and that's his argument. But that's crazy. The, what the leap, the idea that, that Senate, the Senate could justifiably say, well, since we're trying a former president, we can try someone who's never been president. That's a bright line. There's no yeah, slippery slope argument there. It's silly. It's, it's kind of silly, especially silly. since we not only have the Secretary of War president, we also have a bunch of judges, right. several judges throughout yeah. American history who have actually been impeached and convicted after they have been off the bench. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, if, if you... It, Look at a presidential term um, and the the fact that the presidential term, not only could the president do anything he wanted in the last month before he he left office, he could also do anything he wanted and then just quit and then just resign from being the president. And you go, well, he's no longer in office unless he's immune. Nah, nah, nah. Yeah. Put my thumb on my nose and wiggle my fingers. I'm immune. You so, can't touch me. Whoop, whoop, whoop. It doesn't make any sense. So the argument you're raising actually leads to a, another sort of inside baseball constitutional question about impeachment and conviction, namely, who would preside at the trial? of the former president. Now, the Constitution says the chief justice would do that. We know John Roberts did the, did the job uh, for <laughs> Trump impeachment, number one. But the Constitution actually implies that only when the current president is on trial uh, does the chief justice run things. It says, quote, when the president of the United States is tried, the chief justice shall preside. So it isn't really the president who is being uh, tried now in this situation. It's the former president. So some people are actually saying Kamala Harris, as you know, the person who is the president of the Senate, w- would run the show. But that would look kind of unfair. So it's I think very she, interesting. I think she would appoint somebody, maybe Senator Leahy. People are speculating. So uh, 
there are a lot of unanswered questions. Yeah, it's very strange. I mean, the, the Constitution is a very old document, and it was written um, uh, in, a, in a real hurry by a bunch of people who disagreed about how the whole processes should go. Well, it's held up pretty well, and the amendments passed to it uh, have held up pretty well. Oh, absolutely. Also. But the well, some of them, we had to undo a couple of them, but, but the, the amendments to the Constitution is a great example. We haven't had one of those in an awful long time, and yeah, the Constitution is good and has lots of positives, but it can't contemplate everything that, that, you know, can come up and can occur. We have to roll with the punches and come up with, you know, interpretations of it and say, is this really just an error in the Constitution, a failing where they didn't take into account what this would mean if it said when the president is on trial, if we're really trying a former president? I mean, what is that, uh, you know, what should we do in that scenario? It, It really is a tough, thorny legal question that needs uh, analysis and thoughtfulness applied to it. And instead, we've got people like Rudy Giuliani who don't know what the law even is that they're talking about. I mean, this is the, uh, as, as we were saying earlier, he and Dershowitz appear to be the best. Uh, oh, that Them and Lynn Wood, who apparently is a crazy person who wants to murder people uh, and is, is going to get disbarred. I mean, this is Giuliani's oh, by the argument. way, Lynn, if you're planning on suing Connor, Connor's just kidding about that. Go ahead. Yeah, and it's not, uh, it's not, it's not royal. We're not associated with it. Just, just Connor. Only Connor's opinions, mm-hmm. uh, and their jokes too. On top of it all, um, but yeah, Giuliani's argument. Uh, I don't know if you saw the quote, but it was. Chef's kiss. Fantastic. Giuliani's argument about incitement. He said, well, you can't uh, they can't get uh, Trump on on any sort of incitement charge um, uh, because uh, what he was saying was true. Giuliani says, and if the what you they were what he said up there about the election being stolen was true, quote, then they're not fighting words. And everybody looked at that and goes, "Okay." You don't know what fighting words, that's a legal term of fighting words that, you know, cause, you know, it will start a fight, words that will start a fight. You don't know what that means. You're confusing some sort of defamation concept about truth being a defense and conflating it with incitement to riot or incitement to cause violence, and then combining that with the fighting words doctrine. None of this applies. You have to actually understand the law. I think Rudy's starting uh, starting to lose it, maybe as of several years ago. Though I will say this, everything I know about Rudy basically comes from Randy Rainbow. So I'm not 100% sure if that's... Randy is a very approved and uh, authoritative source, I, I would say that that's the best way to learn about Rudy. What are you going to do? He's Go to the Washington Post. They're biased. Hey, Go to the uh, source. When we come back, uh, the final issue about impeachment we'll get into maybe is the thorniest of them all. Is disqualification by the Senate possible so that Trump may never run for federal office again? But first, Connor's going to tell you how to rate and subscribe to Too Many Lawyers. Yes. Check us out on whatever podcast platform you use, and then maybe some other podcast platforms if you really feel like doing us a favor. Uh, that'd be Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or Podcast Addict or whoever else you use to get your podcast. They all have separate, different rating systems where you can leave a comment, where you can like our, our, our episodes, where you can subscribe to see future episodes. And every one of those individual things that you does helps us out a lot. So please, and if you want to share us with a friend, we'd like that too. We'll be right back on Too Many Lawyers. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. 
Are you in search of deeper meaning in your life? Longing to manifest your true desires and unlock your full potential? Look no further than Portal Mystico podcast, your gateway to treasure trove of transformative tools, enlightening interviews, and enriching content. I'm your host, Elena Maggio, and it's my heartfelt desire to guide you on this extraordinary journey of self-discovery. And with every episode, I'm passionate about sharing and introducing you to new topics in self-development, metaphysics, astrology, the law of attraction, numerology, interviews that will eliminate your path and fuel your own personal growth. This podcast is your wellspring of inspiration dedicated to help you uncover your purpose with unwavering passion. Together, we'll dive deep into the fascinating topics and explore endless possibilities. Listen to Portal Mystico on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite platform. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Roy Lopes. And I'm still Connor Lopes. So we're finishing up the um, impeachment trial issue, Connor. We're uh, talking about disqualification. The Constitution, when you uh, read it and see what the Congress may uh, do with respect to impeachment, there's uh, something in there about disqualifying people. And yes, several times in history, the U.S. Senate, generally dealing with judges, have said, you know, this person is so bad, we're not only convicting them and kicking them off the bench or maybe having a trial even after they resigned. We're saying they're disqualified from ever again holding federal office. So uh, here's the question. If he's going to be convicted, he's going to have to get all 50 of the Democrat senators and then another 17 Republican senators because you need two thirds, 67 of the 100 to vote to convict. Because right now, because it's all right before the Biden administration, Connor, we don't have four more senators from Puerto Rico and District of Columbia. Not yet. Yeah. So now it's, it's, a a, it's 100. So the question is, will the Republicans vote to convict him? And if they do, then it appears from the precedents and uh, what the scholars have written, if the Senate wanted to disqualify Trump for all time, all they'd have to do would be to do so by a bare majority. Now, you can't even get there unless you first convict Convict, him by two thirds. But then basically the Democrats would be able to do it with just one vote, Mitt Romney. And so the question is, is that the way to go? Is that really in the cards? Would it be maybe just to the Republicans' advantage to have him out of their hair so that he wouldn't be there to drag everybody down and basically ruin the the prospect for unity? Or would the Republican power structure be buying themselves a, a big problem because, what, 20, 30, 40 million Trumpsters would just stay home saying, well, how dare the Senate uh, bench our guy? Yeah. What, what's your crystal ball tell you? I mean, I think that that's a, it's an existential problem facing uh, the Republican Party. I think that they are uh, fully aware of this uh, conundrum that they are in, which is to say, if, they, if you put up Trump— um, uh, if you allow Trump to run again, say you you can't get the conviction in the Senate or you don't want to get the conviction in the Senate and you let Trump run again in 2024, um, he will uh, win the primary um, because th- that's the, the, the reality of the world that we live in, that if you have half of the Republican base, that is half of the people who vote in the primary, primary are crazy Trumpsters. In your pocket, then the other 12 people running split against you the split other, the other right. half, there's just no, like in 2016. Yeah, there's no way to compete against him. You Even if the majority of, Democrat, of Republicans uh, come to their senses or already have their senses and say, we're 66% of the electorate, darn it, and uh, 
We of uh, the, the, the Republican electorate and we have no interest in Trump. We think he's a scumbag. Uh, we're going to go with and then you fill in the blank with Romney, Cruz uh, or any other number, uh, you know, Marco Rubio, any number of other people. Uh, OK, cool. Well, the remainder, 20 percent, 30 percent, 40 percent, whatever of the primary voters are unified behind Trump. He's too big a block. So I think that the most likely thing uh, that the Republicans will do is actually to uh, not impeach, uh, not convict Trump in mm-hmm. the Senate um, because it would be too embarrassing for them. Uh, they're, they want to be able to move past this and, and claim that it was all just part of the Democratic witch hunt. And once it's in the rearview mirror, people will say, oh, I wasn't in favor of Trump, but the, Repu- the Democrats gave him a really hard time right. for no good reason. Uh, so they'll move past it there. And then in 2024, or rather before that, in 2022 and 2023, when they're preparing and campaigning starts for the next presidency, it's always already started, but you know what I mean? Um, the Republicans will change their party rules to uh, ice Trump out of the oh, interesting. Uh, uh, How might the they change the rules what, to do that? I think what they will do is they will somehow force it to be a one-on-one heads-up matchup. In which case, no think, orange heads may run. I, I don't know how they'll. I don't know how they will structure it exactly. Uh, but they will want to engineer a situation where the primary is effectively uh, Cruz versus Trump. Hey, why, why not do something like the Democrats do, having the the super delegates, the elite people? Right. You the, could the do super delegates, so, absolutely, and they that, would dictate the, uh, the that selection. is one. One good, one good way. Now, there was such backlash uh, by the Democratic base that if, if superdelegates are effectively gone in, in, in most situations. I, I believe, in fact, they are totally gone and they're no longer uh, it's no longer possible that they're determinative of the presidential candidate, although it could be wrong about that. But I believe there's been change in that direction. Um, but that's as a result of backlash where you know a populist movement was so unhappy about their guy Bernie Sanders uh, getting screwed by the Democratic Party's rules uh, that they made enough noise to change that system. Now, are the Republicans uh, you know worried that their base will see things as not democratic enough? No, the, the, the Trump base doesn't actually care about we saw them storm the Capitol to try to install their guy like the, they are OK with rule changes that move us away from some sort of pure democracy. They're all in favor of the Electoral College because it's getting them wins over the Democrats. Well, so there's no danger that there will be backlash there. The only question is, what rule change can you make that structures it such that you end up with a one on one matchup in the actual primary? And it. The, the, the other thing they could do besides a rule change is they could just snap their fingers as the, you know, the, the, the bosses of the Republican uh, Party and say, uh, just like the Democrats snapped their fingers and said, hey, Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar and, and everybody else, Kamala Harris, get out of the way. It's Joe Biden yeah, but then versus how do you Bernie win Sanders. If, if to 20 or Bernie. 30 angry Trumpsters sit on the sidelines in four years after something like that is you, done that to you, them. You, you may do that. It, uh, you may end up losing anyway. But the only way you beat Trump in the primary is the way that the Democrats beat Bernie in the primary. Well, there are other reasons Bernie lost. He actually didn't get the turnout. He didn't have the populist movement he wanted to have. But the, the Democrats made sure that even if there had been a big groundswell for Bernie, they had their best chance to beat him by making it a heads up matchup against Biden. So they did that. And that's all the Republicans need to do to beat Trump. Now, then in the general, what do you do? Oh, my God. So isn't another way to look at it, though, that it's no big deal anyway, because statistically, the uh, the guy who wins uh, the first term 
almost always wins the second term. So the Republicans would have a big uphill battle anyway, even if they didn't have these these nuclear problems. True. I, uh, True. Let's go to question number two, Connor, and that is, uh, is the real basis for impeachment pursuing a coup, not inciting a riot? I mean, here's my take. These riots on January 6th, that wasn't a coup. It was a mob of cretins. If they had succeeded beyond their wildest dreams, literally executing the vice president, kidnapping with zip ties a bunch of members of Congress, nothing would have changed in terms of the running of the government. That would not have led to a coup. They had no power or ability to do that. Uh, If you want to know about how to arrange a coup, watch a fabulous movie from the 60s, Seven Days in May, starring Burt Lancaster as a a wacky general who wanted to literally engineer a military coup to get rid of a president, played Mm -hmm. by Frederick March, who wanted to disarm our nuclear bombs because he thought that was the way to bring Russia to the bargaining table. Which seemed too dangerous. He he was a national security wimp. And so the the military said, oh, this guy's too scary. And they, well, this one guy in the military. And thank goodness, Kirk Douglas. Save the day. Save the day. So your position is- That's a coup. This wasn't a coup. Instead, Trump's real sin that the Democrats aren't emphasizing as much is he was trying to engineer a bloodless coup by having Vice President Pence direct that the the electoral votes of several key states be back to the states for recertification where the governors of those states might have had the power to actually change the outcome of Pennsylvania and Arizona and Nevada. Now that's a coup. Yeah. And so why are the Democrats fighting this business over, well, it really was incitement to riot, but no, oh, well, Mr. Trump said pe- go peaceably to the, to the Capitol. Well, yeah. but, you know, we all know what he meant. Th- that's not a, a winning argument ultimately for the Democrats. Why don't they emphasize the fact that he was trying to take over the government and for question. two months yeah. after 60 some lawsuits and dozens of legal rulings saying yeah. there's no basis for your position that you won bigly and it was all this fraud was there. I mean, he nonetheless still tried to say, I won. It was a landslide. Isn't that the real sin? I mean, they can both be sins. And I would argue that Trump and his people, uh, there's more and more evidence coming out that they had a hand in the planning uh, and of January 6th that would constitute not just incitement on the day of, but a long running weeks or months in in uh, uh, in in behind the scenes planning to make some sort of uh, direct action, violent direct action happen on January 6th in order to frighten, intimidate, disrupt, whatever, and actually enact a coup. So they can both be coup attempts uh, and one just be ill-advised, dumb, never would have gotten past the military, maybe. Um, we, we can dream that, that because this one didn't get past the military, that others would not have. I, I'm not so confident, but okay. In that scenario, you're right that that this other actual coup attempt, bloodless coup attempt, procedural coup attempt was, uh, I would say, as bad or worse uh, uh, than than what we saw at the Capitol. But what we saw at the Capitol was unprecedentedly shocking yep. and and scary, uh, and and brings to mind you know these these sort of uh, things that the CIA engineers in other countries all the time, and it's really horrifying the idea that it might actually happen here at home. So that captures the American imagination, and that is a good opportunity to throw it up in people's faces and go, this is not normal. This is not something you should be allowed to do. We should not put up with this. And the idea that Trump uses these arcane systems to try to backdoor, find loopholes and dodge uh, consequences and avoid the results of an election, he does that literally every day. And we're inured to it. We are tired of it. We're exhausted by it. And you can't energize people to support your impeachment attempt if they're exhausted. And I'll say it's 
it's not normal because, of course, let's talk Jacob Chansley. Mr. Chansley is I know the him guy well. with the horns and right. the coyote fur oh, of course. and the, the body paint, the face paint. The QAnon and, shaman. Yeah, he's a QAnon shaman guy. Uh, his lawyer, court-appointed lawyer um, in Arizona, was arguing for uh, bail, and the judge said, no, I'm sorry, we're keeping this guy locked up. Uh, guy will storm the Capitol, but you think he's not a flight risk? You yeah. think he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't break the law. The lawyer says there's no evidence Mr. Chansley had engaged in any type of aggressive or dangerous conduct and Sorry, should what? be released pending trial. Sorry, what? Yeah. Uh, even though he left a note for Mr. Pence on the desk there at the dais in the U.S. Senate, it's only a matter of time, Mr. Pence. Justice is coming. Mm. I, I love this. I love this take on on the, the his client, uh, Albert Watkins. He's the St. Louis lawyer who is defending him. Uh, he said his client acted on the invitation of Mr. Trump and Mr. Chansley felt he was called upon to help save this nation. And then um, he, he talks about how the fact that there are some uh, psychedelic drug issues in this gentleman's past, strongly held mystical beliefs exacerbated by the drugs, mental health issues. Uh, the, the lawyer w- was talking about the horns and the fur, and he says, well, at least from a sartorial standpoint, he stands outside the outside the bell curve of normalcy. What? So I wish I'd been in the court uh, in Arizona when that happened. Yeah. So uh, we're, when we come back, we're going to get into question number three, which is, is Donald Trump nuts? Now, the uh, technical term is a delusional disorder. We'll tackle that tough one uh, when we return. This is Too Many Lawyers. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. The Car Pro Show podcast is available on iHeart, Apple, and Spotify. I can't take my husband anywhere. He's constantly behaving like a five-year-old, snorting, joking, yapping with strangers. It's so embarrassing. But the one period when he's fully engrossed in anything is if he's listening to the Car Pro Show podcast. Here they are now on the Car Pro Show. He gets to hear Jerry and Kevin share all the latest and greatest news and information about the CarPro Friends universe, reviews and commentary on all the newer vehicle lineups from every major brand, stories and testimonials about ultimate car buying experiences through CarPro.com, and certified CarPro Friends at dealers nationwide. My only regret is when this two-hour break from you-know-who ends. Save yourself! Grab some me time by tuning into the CarPro Show podcast on your device anytime, anywhere. Listen to the CarPro Show on iHeart, Apple, and Spotify. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by CarPro.com, where you now have a friend in the car buying business. CarPro.com. This is Too Many Lawyers. Question three on our docket today. I'm Royal Oaks, by the way, and I bet that's Connor Oaks. There, yeah, on the sure other is. side of Still the table. Is. Still there. So, Connor, um, is Trump nuts? Uh, there was an op-ed uh, piece by a psychiatrist in the paper this week. He said eh, there are real questions about whether the president has a reality-distorting mental state. It's called delusional disorder. It's a non-bizarre 
fixed false belief contradicting external reality held by the patient fiercely despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary. Now, one could say that it is bizarre to say I won the election, but, you know, when you're talking about fraud, it's not like little men from Mars. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so a non-bizarre fixed false belief contradicting external reality. So the argument by this shrink is Trump has been fixated for two months on the idea that he is a victim of a stolen election, despite all evidence that the election was overall free and fair. The president is often described as a liar, this psychiatrist said. It's, of course, possible that he is fully cognizant of the fact he did not win the election and in a gambit to hold on to power, he is lying boldly. But, the shrink says, I doubt it is that simple. Trump seems to believe he won. Could he be captured by a fixed delusion? The loss of the November election seems psychically shattering to Trump, and the delusion of a stolen election could be one way to deny reality and repress pain. What do you think? Uh, you you don't play a psychiatrist on TV, and I, I know you're not one in real life, but uh, what do you think about the good doctor's uh, long-distance diagnosis of the chief executive? Yeah, I mean, as the, the caveat being, of course, that long-distance diagnoses are usually unwise and inaccurate, but um, lots of short-distance diagnoses are, too. So what are you going to do? This guy's Eli um, Merritt, by the way. He's sure. a psychiatrist at the Center for Biomedical Ethics and Society at Vanderbilt University. Yeah, I mean... I can't tell you um, whether he's nuts, of course, not being a medical professional. I think everybody who uh, is not nuts and looks at what is happening uh, in this country thinks there's something wrong with this guy. But there's something wrong with this guy, like at at a sufficient distance and level of of abstraction in terms of big picture and the the whole whole paint the whole picture of everything that the guy has done over his entire career um it's often impossible to tell uh psychopathy uh or abnormal psychology from evil right and maybe there's no just no meaningful distinction between the two in terms of this specific question that this doctor brings up where he says, you know, it seems that he's clinging to a delusion, but it's possible that he could just be uh, boldly lying. That is the other problem uh, that our normal intuitions break down when we hear a big lie, big lie being a phrase uh, that comes from Adolf Hitler's book, Mein Kampf, where he describes uh the using of a lie that is so colossal mm-hmm. that no one be- would, will believe that anyone could lie that big, that ha- would have the impudence to distort the truth. Must be true. It has to be true. It's so bizarre. It has to be true. No one could make that up. Plus, if you and, hear something repeated a lot, must be true. Absolutely. And this is um, a, a horrifying reality about our human psyche is that we want to give people the benefit of the doubt and we uh, want well, things. another aspect of the psyche is that we don't want to believe that evil is a result of anything other than craziness, insanity. Mm, we don't want to believe yeah. that a normal person who has it together, who understands you know everything in reality, could do something so horrible. So that when we hear about bad crimes, I think it's a very common reaction that the worse the crime is, the more likely a normal, regular, non-maniac is going to say, he must have been crazy. Must have been, must have been nuts. Been, must have been insane. There's something wrong with his so, brain. So the, the legal yeah, standard... Is, yeah, you're absolutely right. The legal standard for insanity traditionally is if you don't know right from wrong, right. we will let you off. We will send you to the home for the criminally insane. Uh, we will find you not guilty by reason of insanity. 
And so that's been sort of a, a good, solid standard in, in the legal community for a long time. I don't know yeah. how it applies in, in this kind of delusional you're, you're absolutely diagnosis. right. I mean, that after the Holocaust, um, uh, a guy named Michel Foucault wrote a bunch of stuff, uh, but he wrote a, a, a he gave a bunch of lectures that eventually got turned into a book, I believe, after he was dead, um, that the, the lecture collection became known as the birth of biopolitics. And biopolitics is this concept uh, that is real, real big and complicated. There are a bunch of parts of it to it. The idea that, you know, the personal and the physical about your body is political um, and that people's psychological states affect their uh, political uh, leanings. Um, But there is this concept uh, that is discussed throughout that and other works sort of surrounding it, commenting on it and the ones that preceded it, inspired it. But it's sort of the center. It's the nexus of everything um, in this area of, of philosophy. And the idea was, oh, Either the Holocaust and every other horrific tragedy that 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 we you know see out in the world, either that's some sort of aberration, or it is a, a manifestation or uh, the ultimate end of whatever system we're living under, and you have to decide which one of those two things you believe, right? So a lot of people would look at uh, the, did look at the Holocaust and say this is uh, a bizarre aberration because the world is getting better, people are happier, there's more food around, uh, there's less war around, uh, democracies don't go to war with each other. I mean, there are all these good things about the world that get better and better and better all the time. Um, so this must be an aberration. And there are other people who looked at this and said no. You can't just assume that the march of history is always onward and upward and that everything that improves uh, life somehow cancels out the things that, that make life and society and the world worse. And you have to decide whether uh, modernism, the focus on you know science and obsession and, and scientific method and collection of information about people's bodies uh, and, and control, exertion of control of uh, powerful entities, either governments or private uh, groups like corporations and people with money or whatever, whether that is whether something horrible and terrible and scary like the Holocaust is the natural extension of uh, uh, the, the progress of society and that we must constantly counter these, uh, uh, you know, things that go in the wrong direction mm-hmm. uh, or whether we can sort of sit back and say that, no, these things are aberrations and they'll wash out. We have to stamp them out when they occur, but we don't have to worry about the process uh, of the march onward and upward of society because it is always onward and upward. And that is, I mean, a fundamental and probably unanswerable question, but it is the, it is very seductive to the human mind to say the aberration version is very seductive to say that Trump is not representative. He's not the product of the of the conservative movement. He's someone who hijacked the conservative movement. And of course, the, it is very seductive on the other side for liberals to say, no, he is the product of the conservative movement. He's the manifestation of what conservatives have been doing, which is lying for 50 years and you know, man, uh, consolidating and manifesting corporate power and moneyed interest. Uh, over politics and dismantling the functions of the of the federal government is it a coincidence that Trump is achieving everything that conservative political conservatives want but he uses dirty words I mean no it, it, it's not a coincidence this is what they want they just happen to what achieve if there'd it been an opening day. for a progressive president and uh, because there was a solid Republican conservative uh, in, in the White House yeah. and so the uh, nomination for the Democrats would go to a progressive is it conceivable that Donald Trump uh, as he did in the past he was uh, pro-abortion and so on. Is it conceivable he could have embraced a bunch of progressive policies? Maybe, maybe, or maybe there's something 
not the progressive Has movement it, that would have rejected him or the progressive electorate who would have Bernie said. Bernie would have said, just I'm like not, Nancy Reagan said, just say no. Yeah. I, whoa, I might be a populist and I might want to take down the elites and dismantle X, Y, and Z. And this guy might show up and say, I also want I to dismantle know. X, Y, and Z. Bernie's but an apprentice fan. So I, I don't think you've got I, I an know. argument I mean, there. Are, are, are the women who marched in, on Washington with the pink hats, are those people going to put up with a guy like Donald Trump representing them, even if he shares their political beliefs about, say, abortion or whatever else? I don't know. The excess Hollywood tape might never I, have come out. I personally have a belief about that, but I don't think that, that I think that Trump and his, his, his personality and his values and his methods and everything else is incompatible with liberalism and leftism, uh, leftist beliefs. But I could totally be wrong about that. When we come back, uh, actually, uh, we already came back. So, <laughs> so when we continue, here's yeah. here's what the next. Now that we've resolved this, issue, oh yeah, solved every problem. Yeah, we've solved every in problem. Uh, so now let's turn to a question of whether Facebook mm-hmm. and Twitter and Amazon and okay. Google one by, more problem to solve by banning Trump yeah. and his friends and Parler. Did they step in it? And when I say it, I mean short term trouble. That's yeah. that's what I mean by it. So let's talk about. That um, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and so on. What they did is not governed by the First Amendment because They're only private. governmental activity is yeah. banned uh, uh, in terms of restricting First Amendment rights in an unreasonable way. Yeah. But Americans don't like censorship. Connor. True. Uh, Trump and folks on the right I, arguably are the winners here. When Twitter says I'm going to ban him for life, why wouldn't they have simply said you're banned for the next month? We're going to get past the inauguration. You incited a riot. We're really concerned about death and destruction and violence. So we'll see how things go in the next month because by banning him for life, doesn't that kind of turn him into some sort of a martyr? Doesn't it energize the right and say, okay, this is censorship by big tech? Uh, if you were CEO of a Twitter, would you have considered maybe just a temporary ban? I would have considered uh, banning Trump uh, a long, long time ago. I think that we do things uh for more than just their political expediency and impact. And even if theoretically you say, well, uh, jailing Charles Manson will just, uh, you know, embolden his supporters, um, we still do it because it's the right thing to do and it protects people. It makes the world a better place. Uh, Charles Manson deserved punishment. Um, Trump uh, and and killed a bunch of people or directed the killing of a bunch of people, rather. Uh, and and Trump uh, incites violence, uh, makes our politics worse. And having him gone from the public discourse by banning him from a bunch of these platforms is a good thing. Let me Their ask you a quick results question, Results came out 73% reduced misinformation spread on social media platforms, especially really? Twitter, in the week after Trump is gone. Like that, overnight, Trump could uh, Twitter could have done this at any time. They should have done this way earlier, and they didn't. Let me ask a question. Interrupting quick question here. By comparing Trump to both Hitler and Charles Manson in the same podcast, is that the definition of doubling down? Doubling down over the top. Absolutely. Godwin's Law. Doubling down. Well, you got to use examples that are evocative that people know. <laughs> they, you know? Th- those are evocative. You're right. I'll compare them to a shoplifter next, and we'll see what the emotional impact of that will be. Well, you know, it's funny to me that the megaphone of Twitter for Trump uh, has not only been silenced, but it seems to have had an impact on his uh, interest in, ability to, willingness to communicate in other ways. I mean, it's not the only way you can get your word out. You can stand uh, in the Rose Garden and talk. You can issue a video and just put it out. And I mean, why, why do you think that by saying that cutting him off of Twitter, which, yes, was oxygen for him, 
Why does that seem to have basically silenced him? Well, t- two things. I think one is, is Trump is such a narcissist that he wanted the feedback. This is a guy who literally managed his own Twitter account besi- despite being the most recognizable human on the planet. He wanted to see a million people respond when he posted God bless America and a million people all with American flag emojis in their in their names said, we love you. We love you. We love you. You're the best. You're the greatest. You won the election, et cetera. And he just wanted to see, he wants that feedback. And you have to give a speech in the Rose Garden. Then you have to go back in and, and watch CNN or Fox News or whoever talk about the response to you. It's not nearly as immediate. It's not that you don't get the, the endorphin hit uh, that, that the narcissist craves. And the other part of it is that the uh, sort of the informality of Twitter allowed Trump to short circuit the process like he always wanted to and just present himself as though he's a private citizen. He wants to uh, shut, you know, slough off the norms uh, that that, uh, you know, that that are placed on the president and, and ignore the rules. And by going through any sort of channel at all, uh, any sort of official channel at all, he's admitting that the media has power and control over him mm-hmm. and that they are the ones who chop up and slice up his message and then disseminate it. And they're going to pick out the worst parts. And instead, he's just going to tweet the juiciest, tiniest little soundbite bit. And then he gets that out there and you can't manipulate. What are you going to chop his tweet in half? It yeah, won't even he, make any sense. It doesn't make sense never, as a whole. He never uh, admits defeat. Nope. He, he never concedes anything. Isn't his silence a form of concession of admitting, okay, they they got me by, I mean, wouldn't it have been more natural for Trump to fight back by saying, you can't shut me up just by getting me off of Twitter and Facebook. Here's another uh, medium I'm going to use. I would have expected him to try that. Yeah, you're probably, you're right. I actually would have expected him to, if you had told me what's going to happen when the Twitter bans Trump, I would have said, oh, you would have just jumped to a different platform. And would he would have instructed his his aides to build a, a, a Twitter or clone website where just Trump gets to post his t- tweet feelings uh, on just the thoughts of the president.com. And then, you know, uh, he just gets to post directly to that page whenever he wants uh, and people can like it and he'll see millions of likes. So final question, fifth question, how should we celebrate Martin Luther King Day? Uh, Martin Luther King is one of the giants of the 20th century in American history. Mm-hmm. And the most famous thing he ever said was, let's judge people not on the color of their skin, but the content of their character. It was genius. He inspired the civil rights movement. Um, let's talk about identity politics. Um, it sounds like such an innocuous phrase, but it's not. It's a pernicious example of the cure resembling the disease. The disease is racism, homophobia, xenophobia, all the occupants of Hillary's basket of deplorables. The Cretans and fools and haters who think people of color are subhuman, that's what they are, Cretans and fools and 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 haters uh, who say that uh, uh, whites are good and people of color are bad. So what do we do in response? Unfortunately, a lot of people practice identity politics, where in many cases you are fighting the haters by hating. People are not automatically good or bad because they have a certain psychological or demographic or preference characteristic. They are not automatically bad because they don't have these things. People are bad because they are racists and homophobes and xenophobes. So again, Shouldn't we celebrate MLK Day by judging people not on the color of their skin or their sexual preference or their age or their gender, but by the content of their character? Of course, absolutely. And I think that um, we also should recognize that identity politics is a big 
uh, it's it's been turned into a scare phrase, but the concept of identity politics is is just a grouping of people around their identities and sharing of their political beliefs based on those. So, it, uh, you know, the existence of uh, an LGBTQ uh, lobbying group is identity politics. But if they're lobbying for the expansion of rights of, of American citizens uh, and the bettering of society for everybody, that's great. Identity politics is the existence of the NAACP. Identity politics is, is any of these things that is, is, is an improvement as well as, uh, you know, the, the idea that maybe there are some people out there who take, uh, what, advocacy for, for civil rights or e- equality too far. I don't even know how to, you would conceive of that, but but to buy, you know, knee jerk, uh, push back against conservatives, assuming that those conservatives are bad people because of their conservative beliefs. Well, the danger, of course, is that our whether we're good people is informed and affected by our beliefs. If we hold bad beliefs, we're bad people. So you can attack somebody on the content of their their uh, their attitudes, and if somebody is, as you put out, a, a racist or a misogynist or whoever else, they can be validly attacked for that and say that makes you a bad person. You should stop believing that. You should grow up and move on. And be, it's twenty twenty, darn it. Those are valid uh, criticisms. And compl- actually, no. God, <laughs> it, it, it is. It is. That's Why good, would that's you good. want to put us back no, in right, twenty twenty? Right. I saw a fantastic uh, tweet. I, I saw S. Somebody said said that after the the hellish January that we had, they said I was so excited for 2021, but I'm beginning to suspect it. it's actually just three 2020s in a trench coat. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So you got the last word on that. And, and uh, by saying that, I'm I'm not uh, following in the Bill O'Reilly mold. I don't know if you remember, Connor. But when, oh, he always gave himself the last word. I don't well, but it's better than that. What he always did was but say, you have the last yes, word. He said oh, to a liberal yeah, guest, yeah. he said, OK, I'm going to give you the last word. And I always remember uh, hearing that phrase, and it stuck in my mind because I would guesstimate three out of four times after the liberal made his comment, Bill would jump in and With he the last would word. get the last he, word. I mean, these guys, these guys, they have no self-control. They even set up their own system to make themselves look good, and then they can't do it. So I'm not going to do what Bill O'Reilly did in that respect, and I'm also not going to do applaud. other things uh, he did that <clears throat> weren't right because I don't have $32 million to, to pay, pay to off a woman. all of these uh, yeah, people that you sexually harass, yeah. Well, let's hope, Connor, that in a week when we do our next podcast, there will have been a very peaceful and calm inauguration. Transition. Perhaps a less than thrilling speech by Biden. Who knows? Maybe boring. Come no, through please give me boring. Cross of gold. Yes, let's root for boring in the next seven days. See you next time on Too Many Lawyers. 